I am Zarina Dimitrova, a strategic partner and mentor to businesses in the process of transformation. Join me on Grow and Learn as we explore a range of topics from personal development and career advancement to relationship building and financial management. With practical advice, inspiring stories and expert interviews, we'll give you the tools you need to thrive in every aspect of your life. Join us as we share insights and strategies that can help you achieve your personal and professional growth objectives. Today we're going to be speaking to a C-suite executive coach, Emily Sander. We're going to be speaking about the role of the chief of staff. Welcome to Grow and Learn. My name is Zorina. Stay tuned if you want to learn how to manage properly small teams, big teams, how to restructure. We're going to be hearing about case studies. Hi, Emily. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Emily, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So I started in the corporate world and I primarily led client facing teams. So you can think about like account management, deployment teams, um, customer success teams, all of those, all of those kinds. And it was primarily in technology companies. So I started at large corporations like Microsoft and Amazon. And then I went to a series of small to medium businesses. And that's where I got to do cool things like grow a global client management team. Um, I got to scale another team by 200% and we went, we went internationally um, as well. And so those were, those were kind of the, the building blocks of my leadership. And then it culminated in a role as chief of staff for a digital marketing agency. And that's where I got to serve as the strategic advisor and kind of the right-hand person to our CEO, and then also work very closely with all the other members of the executive team. And then about a year and a half ago, two years, I moved to my coaching practice full-time. So I said, hey, what's my favorite parts of all of these corporate jobs? And it was the mentoring and guiding and just helping people with, with, with their career progression. And so I decided that life is short, so I might as well try to have it be the favorite part of my day all day. So that's what I'm doing now. Oh, very cool. I do want to hear what you're doing right now, but tell us what what, what is the role of a chief of staff? You know, what we know is uh, what, what we know from the old industry BMOs, it's um, hiring, firing, and I don't know, writing KPIs and roadmaps, but that's about it. What do chiefs of chiefs of staff actually do? Yeah, so chiefs of staff. So an analogy you can use is they're the Swiss army knife of the executive team. So they're actually very versatile and no one chief of staff is alike to another. And so in one instance of a chief of staff, you could be um, gap filling by by being the operational leader of a subsidiary. And then in another instance, you could be helping with M&A. So how to structure this acquisition for you know multi-million dollar deal. And then it could be things like prepping the board material. So for all of the executives to make sure their information is all ready to go to the board. So it's this very versatile role and a, a Swiss army knife can be a way to think about it. You can also think about like an air traffic controller. So those big towers you see at the airports and they're talking to the planes with different airlines, with the ground crew, with the weather people, and they're coordinating all the aspects of the airport. So it runs on time and it runs well. And in the same way, a chief of staff is organizing all the different aspects of a company to make sure it's organized and it runs well. So it's um, 
those are some analogies to use. And then, you know, the easiest way to think about it is the right hand partner to the CEO. So they are basically taking the strategy that the CEO has put forth and then they're executing to that in all areas of the business. Would you say that this role in the, in the, in the scope that you just described is only valid for smaller and maybe mid-sized companies? Or do you have experience also of what the role of a chief of staff looks in larger companies? Yes, so I work with chiefs of staff. My The smallest company is three people. So there's three people plus chief of staff. And then I work with chiefs of staff at Fortune 50 companies where there are hundreds of chiefs of staff throughout the organization. So, and those both add value in very different ways, right? Because the company's at a very different stage, but a chief of staff can add value to um, to pretty much any, any company that's doing um, cross cross department initiatives or is growing rapidly mm -hmm. and what does your work entail at the moment what do you do as a mentor as an executive coach yeah so i mean i i basically work with three groups of people so early executives in career transition you've got the founders and entrepreneurs who are trying to scale their business but they've reached a plateau and then i work with chiefs of staff or executives who who have a chief of staff. And so we, you know, each each engagement is a little bit different, but we come up with an overall objective or a theme. So something that they want to work on. And then they would bring real world examples. So from their day-to-day -day or week to week, hey, here's an example um, of something that I'm that I'm going through. Can we talk through how to approach that and some different things to be thinking about? Mm -hmm. And can you share with us some of your recent um, um, jobs that you've worked on or some some cases, something that could be inspiring to the role of a chief of staff or to what you're doing? Uh, some different case studies for the my coaching clients or, or for the your different aspects? Clients or, or from your previous experience, something that you've, mm, that, by working on, you've managed to transform or help transform a company and what the results were. Sure. So I think, you know, one example, when I when I entered this company as, as chief of staff, I actually came in as VP of strategic initiatives, but there was this one part of the company that had a toxic culture. So it was, you know, you walked into that part of the building and everyone had their heads down and no one would make eye contact and people were scared to speak up because under the old culture if you if you said something wrong you could get fired and you could be gone the next day and so that was the culture that was there when i got there and the ceo and i strategized and said hey we need we need this part of the business to be successful it represents a large portion of our revenue and you know we we can put systems and tools and add software but really it's the culture that needs to be turned around and so we made a concerted effort to to do that and invest in our people in that way. And so I actually had, um, I did a listening tour and I interviewed everyone in that department one-on-one -on -one and it took months. And then basically rolled up those findings and those results to our leadership team. And we picked ones that we could action. And then we communicated back to the team, hey, hey here we, we heard you, we listened to you, we heard you, and here's what we're doing about it. And just, you know, that's an example, but just, touch points like that over and over where 
we need to hear from you. We want to hear what's going well. We want to hear what's going not well. We want to hear what customers are saying directly to you and have them become part of that process and part of that feedback loop to the rest of the organization. And we did that. It, it took some time to really ingrain that new culture with that team. But when we did that, we saw results in terms of client satisfaction scores and surveys and net promoter scores and people who are willing to buy more of our product suite because the person that they were talking to was more informed and also more engaged in what they were doing. And so by taking this one team and really making a concerted effort to turn around the culture, we eventually saw these downstream impacts that help the financial and overall success of the business. Mm. And, and now as a coach um what what is the what are what is the type of work that you do do you just do you go in and mentor do you do projects within companies well how yeah, do you so engage I, with your clients yeah certainly so i i engage uh, i specialize in one-on-one -on -one coaching. So I'll take, for instance, like a CEO or perhaps a, a VP of a department. And if they're trying to accomplish something specific in their team or for themselves, then we'll work on that together. So it's more one-on-one -on -one coaching at this point. And sometimes it is partnering with a company who wants to provide coaching to their employees. So if you've got a company and you, and they're saying, I wanna provide coaching, as a benefit for my management team, I might partner with that company and then go work with their managers. Mm -hmm. What do you think or what have you observed are the major problems that management is facing? Is it, you, you tell me, I'm not going to throw <laughs> suppositions here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things, right? So there's, um, there's the external tactical and practical things like how do I communicate better? How do I convey my message better? How do I manage people? So if people are first time people managers, that can be a new skill to learn. And then another pivot point is when you are managing a manager. So when you're doing two layers. So those those types of transitions require a different skill set to be learned. And so those can be like the hard the hard tangible skills and then there's also a lot of internal work so self-awareness mindset stuff where and, and the two can go together actually so if you're not showing up in team meetings the way you want to and you need your communication to be a bit stronger well it could be because in your mind today you go i'm a poor communicator and i'm a nervous speaker and what i say doesn't matter to the team so if you're going in with that mindset of course you're going to be showing up in a certain way so sometimes it is let's unpack that mindset and maybe give you a different lens to look through like i'm on the team for a reason and i do have a lot of valuable information to convey and i am a good communicator and we work on the mindset and then also the tools for when you go into that meeting, all right, if you have three important things to say, how do you best present those three important things? So let's go through some talk tracks of what you could actually say to get that conversation going. So that's just one of many examples where you kind of have an overarching theme, right, of communication showing up. Uh, at, a, at a new level, in a new role, and then it might be an internal piece, and it also could be the external tactical and practical pieces. 
Mm-hmm. I see. So when it comes to startups, um, they have different needs. Clearly, they wouldn't have the, the structure that you're um, presenting here where they would be promoted to another layer and another layer because they haven't created the layers yet, I suppose. So how would you engage with a CEO leader of a startup? Um, again, that, that depends. So let's say like if they are trying to scale, that's a very common, very common example. So most founders are great at going from, let's say, zero to 10. And to get from 10 to 100, they've got to do a whole bunch of different things. And most of the time I see founders who have to have been in the business. So they have to do be doing a whole bunch of different things all over the place and they have to be involved. And there comes a certain point where that becomes a bottleneck. Mm -hmm. So if they're trying to be involved in every little tiny thing, it's actually slowing down the business. And so they would have to learn a new skill set and say, hey, I'm adding value in a different way. So that's a very common a common coaching theme for, for founders in that position. Hey, you, you want growth, but you're actually slowing yourself down. You're mm-hmm. actually hurting your team by doing what you did before to be successful. And now you have to learn something new. Um, and, it, and so that could be a scenario. It could also be a scenario of, hey, I have a really great team in place, but they're all first time managers. So I need you, Emily, to coach me on how to coach them and how to kind of bring them along and invest in management skills and talent management from, from my end. So lots of different, different aspects you can hit there. Mm, fantastic, fantastic. Great advice. I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about your book. You have one or how many books have you written? One, two? Uh, two books. Two books. Yeah. Are they behind you, chief staff? Yeah, over there. Hacking executive leadership and an insider's perspective on the chief staff. Mm-hmm. Which one do you? Which one is your favorite of the two? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's like that's like picking between kids. Um, I don't have a favorite. They 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 do very different things. So hacking executive leadership is a whole bunch of frameworks and tools that that you can use to to enhance your leadership, and then. Uh, an insider's perspective on the chief of staff is talking about what the chief of staff role is, how you excel at it, how to know if you need one in your business, um, and all the different aspects there. Mm-hmm. Um, so in one of your books, um, you apparently talk about a failure loop. Um, now, I have not read your book, but um, it's, in, it's in the description here of your um, profile. So I'm really curious to know what a failure loop is and how to reframe failure. What do you mean by failure loop? <laughs> sure. So in, in the book, there's a there's a graph, there's a chart, but I'll describe which, which, it quickly. Which is this, Emily? Which of the two books? Hacking executive leadership. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, there's this chain of individual loops that are connected and the chain goes up and to the right. So that's the overall direction. And up and to the right is progress. So that's like the direction we all want to be going towards. We want to be successful. We want to we want to be good at what we're doing. And in the individual loop, there's this one spot, this one portion of it, where you're going back down and to the left. And so you're going the opposite direction of progress. And that's when that's when you do something and it quote unquote fails. So it's like, oh, I started my own business and it didn't go so well. Or I made this decision in my career and it did not go as intended. And now 
I'm embarrassed and I have to admit that to myself and my family and friends. And basically in that portion of the individual loop where you're going back down into the left, it feels really bad. It feels crappy. It's like that gut punch. And a lot of people will stop there and they'll just say, okay, throw their hands up. I quit. I failed. This, this is the end. And instead, if what you can do is say, all right, as painful as this might be, and as responsible for this failure as I might be, I, I have a portion of responsibility maybe, if I can take a learning and lesson from that to make myself better and apply that going forward, you've just propelled yourself up to the next loop on the chain of loops. And so now you've gone in the direction of progress. And if you think about that framework and you think about doing that over and over and over again, so I put myself out there and it doesn't quite work out, but I learn something and I get better at it next time. And then I try something new and I grow and I learn and I don't quite get it 100% right, but I take that learning lesson and apply it to get better going forward. If you do that over and over, you become a successful person. Mm -hmm. And so this, this failure loop is about reframing our traditional sense of failure, which is which is failure is bad, fail, failure is the end. And really, if you use it in the proper way, it can be the catalyst to propel you and be a successful person. Mm -hmm. While you were speaking, I'm of course reflecting on my own experiences, both in corporate and now as a business owner. And um, but you know, I'm not the one sharing here. So can you share with us an example of what this feedback loop lo looks like uh, practically, like with an example? Sure. So, I mean, I'll give you, um, I'll give you a kind of a meta example. So for the longest time, for most of my life and certainly most of my career, I was scared of public speaking. And so if I had to present at a team meeting or, you know, goodness forbid, a all company meeting, I would stress out about that and I would white knuckle my way through that. And there were many times where I would just get up there and my voice would start quivering and I would start sweating and I would mess up what I was gonna say. And so I could say, oh my gosh, that was a horrible event and I just failed at that presentation. <laughs> it was not an effective talk. It was not an effective presentation. And um, I could have just stopped there and I could have just said, yep, I'm, I'm bad at speaking. And every time I speak, I'm just gonna have to be horrible at it and suffer, suffer through it. And instead I, very slowly, <laughs> very surely said, okay, as painful as that was, and I don't like to replay it, but if I replayed that, what was something that I, I could use going forward? So whether that was, hey, you know, you messed up most of it, but this part was actually good. Or, okay, you messed up this part, what could you do differently to make that a little bit better? And then I would apply that for the next speaking opportunity I had. And slowly but surely, I, I got better at it. And I did the same thing. Okay, that one was a little better, better in this area, but this one was still a challenge and you still got really nervous over here. So, okay, what, what could I do differently from that time? And I did that over and over and over again. And if you would have talked to me five, 10, certainly 15 years ago, and you would have said, Emily, you're going to be on podcasts and you're actually going to be hosting your own podcast and speaking publicly every week. I would have laughed in your face and I would have said, you must you must have got it wrong because I'm not that person. There's no way that I would sign up for speaking over and over and over again in front of people. And I've gotten to the point where 
sometimes I still get nervous, but mostly I just look forward to it and I try to get better each time. But I also feel like I've reached a point where you can, I can be an effective speaker and I can convey information in a way that is helpful to people. And so that's, that's an own, my own personal experience and kind of a, and kind of a example here where we're actually on a podcast, but where I use that failure loop framework to kind of reframe what was happening and propel myself towards progress and always trying to trying to get better and improve. Mm-hmm. Well, what is the title of your podcast? Uh, my podcast is called Leveraging Leadership. So it talks about the, I, I say it unpacks, unpacks the art of business leadership. So we have a whole bunch of leaders on there. I go through some frameworks from the book. We talk about things that come up in business. And basically, if you want to be a more effective business leader, then you might be able to pick up some strategies and tools there. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us another framework from your book? Maybe one that you've shared with your audience? Just to get sure. A- so the Yes, so there's this concept. It's it's called it's green to tea thinking. Um and it's by it's it's by Tiger Woods. And so basically um what he said was he was a prolific golfer, right? And so while most golfers would say, "Okay, I start at the tee and then I, you know, drive the ball and I end up at the uh at the green and that's close to the hole and then I put it in." And Tiger would say, "Okay, what is the easiest putt on the green? Like, where do I want the ball to be on the green? So it's the easiest putt to go in the hole. And then he would reverse engineer all the swings back to the tee. And he would say, okay, if I want it here on the green, where do I need to hit it from the fairway? And if I want it from this spot, where do I need to drive it to from the tee? And so he would work backward toward his goal. And in the same way in business and in life, we can take that same green to tea approach and mentality and say, okay, well, what is my ultimate goal? What am I trying to get to? What's, what's, what's the, the hole in, in the golf course in this case? And then, all right, in order to best position myself for that, what is the step I need to take? Or where is the position I need to be to give myself the best chance to do that? Okay, if that's that, then where do I need to position myself on the fairway? How do I get to that point on and on? And so basically that's setting yourself up for determining what you're actually going after, which is a huge step that people miss. They're just like going throughout their life and reacting to things, but hey, I'm actually going after this and then reverse engineering into how to best do that. And so I think I think that's a that's a, a framework and mentality that people can use in business and in life. And I think also another another layer to that would be Tiger Woods was made fun of for some of his shots because everyone would be driving as far as they could and hitting the ball as hard as they could. And he would do these seemingly kind of odd chip shots. And they'd be like, can't you hit it harder than that? Can't you make the ball go further than that? And that was that was kind of a kind of an ego thing for the other players. And instead, Tiger was saying, I don't have to hit it the furthest, I'm going to hit it most effectively. And I'm going to do what I'm trying to do. So when people are saying all these all these different things to you, um, like, oh, don't you want to do this? Or don't you want to be big like that? You can say no, actually, what I want is this. And in order to be most effective for that, I'm going to set myself up in these different positions. So um, that's that's another uh, green to tea framework or or approach you can use. Mm -hmm. 
I like that. I like that very much. Where where are you heading at? Um, so I, you know, I want to grow my coaching business. I, I always try to serve people and help people and I just want to do more and more of that. So, um, right now I, I'm definitely, I'm definitely happy with the, with the clients that I'm getting to work with and I'm having a lot of fun on the podcast, talking to different people. So it's just serving people in different ways. I've gotten great responses from the podcast saying, oh my gosh, Emily, I learned so much from your conversation with so-and-so. I've gotten people from all over the world saying they they enjoyed the book, which is which is astounding to me. I had someone from Finland reach out. I had someone from um, Somaliland reach out, which is which is crazy. And so just just looking for new opportunities to serve people. That's kind of my north star. So I wake up and say, um, I want to lead with value, and wherever the greatest opportunity for that is, then I will go in that direction. Fantastic. Emily, I enjoyed this very much. Where can people reach you if they want to um, learn more about your book or, or learn how to work with you? Certainly. So my website's probably the best place. It's the hub for all the information, which is www.nextlevel.coach. So nextlevel, all one word, .coach. And it's got links to my books and my podcast and some free downloadable resources there. But you can go to my website or just take a listen to, to the podcast, Leveraging Leadership, and see, and see if it's something that's helpful to you. Mm, great. Any last words before we close for today? I think we covered a lot. I would just encourage people to to go put go put their intention and go put their goals into action because we can learn all these things and all these frameworks and talk about them, but they don't become reality until we take that first step. And that that first step can be the hardest, but I found I found in life that small wins add up faster than you think. And so just start today and start accumulating those small wins each day. And you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised at what unfolds and how things turn out. Fantastic. I concur to that. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.